Hey guys, everybody come on in. Oh, you did? All right. One, one second in. You already got complimented? Hey guys, good to see you. Hope you had a good weekend. Anybody go to the Baylor game this weekend? Some of y'all, anybody watch the Baylor game or see it? Okay. Can you tell I was at the Baylor game? <laughs> we were in the shade all beforehand. And then as we were walking in, I was realized I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I'm going to be freezing because we were in the shade and it was cold. And I did not bring a jacket and we went and sat down and it was just like the heavens opened up right on my forehead. And so that's what's glistening. Uh, hi, Blair. Blair's back, everybody. Everybody say hi, Blair. Um, but anyway, there was a moment around the third quarter where I thought if anybody was at our class last week, then maybe they are experiencing everything we learned last week in our class. Let's go back to Friedman's cycle, all right? You might remember Friedman's cycle of, uh, we called it kind of an anxiety cycle. All right, we were winning by a whole lot of points. All of a sudden, we were not winning by a whole lot of points. And at 28 to 23, Carl started reacting, okay? And I start getting very frustrated. Blair can feel this frustration, and so she'll always be like, you're turning pessimistic, stop it, you know? Now, I don't know if you remember, when we were winning 28 to 23, we threw it to the tight end who was wide open in the end zone, and he dropped the pass, all right? So it was like 28 to something, I can't remember, like 28-3 or something at that point, something like that. And so it's now like a quarter or two past, and I am blaming that tight end. If we lose, I will hold him accountable for the rest of eternity, okay? And so I start to notice others are quick fixing. People start leaving the game. This is, we still need some roots to not leave. But anyway, I did not leave, even though we had... Midway homecoming events. After that, Blair and I were going to stick it through, but I was not necessarily differentiating myself. And that's when I looked down over at Dave Aranda and I'm like, I don't know if he's happy or mad or sad or anything. The man does not let himself at all get enmeshed emotionally, which is what makes him a non-anxious presence. And I just kept thinking, if Dave thinks we're going to win, I think we're going to win. And we did. So <laughs> all of that to say this class and Dave Aranda Hope led to a great Sikkim Bears this weekend for you, and uh, hope you uh, enjoyed your weekend. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here, we also talked about what we call the Hebrews 4.11. Remember what it was? Mess. mess. Yeah. The Hebrews 4.11, rest, mess. And there were four points to it. I think we got it here for you. Art, you got it for them. Um, remember the first one? Resisting. Resisting. Very good. We're going to, we said we would resist the the chaos, the hurry inside of us by three things. They are S's. There's three S's. Yeah, silence, altitude, stillness. And we also have to resist the thing inside of us that resists those things. Um, and when we do that, then we will probably experience some emotions, some grief. We're going to welcome those, uh, befriend those emotions and grief. Um, even though we may not love it, we're going to welcome them instead of shoving them down so that we can receive uh, from God and others, receiving empathy and love from God and others, and then come to that point where we abandon what? What was our phrase? Yeah, abandon the outcomes to God. And so, again, I was not abandoning the outcome to God in the third quarter of the Baylor game, um, but Dave was, and so he was in peace. And so, but I did keep going back to that quote we said from the shack. If you were not here, we watched a little clip where, where uh, the Holy Spirit said to Mac, you're uh, wild, wonderful, and perfectly in process. So I hope that you're all still living that, wild, wonderful, and perfectly in process. And so I wanted to jump out here tonight and then give you a little time at your tables. I know some of you are already discussing. Um, we're going to give you a, a, a time to, to share a little bit at your table um, this evening on uh, three different occasions. But the first here is just start to, we're kind of coming to the end of our time. This is week six of seven weeks. And wanted you to spend some time thinking about, so far, what have been some takeaways in this class for you? Um, maybe it was the journey of the soul cycle, or maybe it was something about spiritual formation or a thought. Maybe just, you know, you can look back through old notes or just remember something I just said and regurgitate it. Um, at the same time, what are some testimonies? And I want you to start strengthening your testimony muscle in this way. Not and then this happened, and I got a complete breakthrough, and I'm completely different. Man, I love those, and I, if that happened, that's awesome. But a lot of times in this type of uh, work, breakthrough reminds me that I'm just not where I was yesterday, that I was able to actually feel some of the emotion. And so it's the progress. It's the process. It's the wonderful and process part, okay? So I say testimonies. I also mean, hey, I was able, be kind to yourself and think I was actually able to sit in silence for two minutes last week. 
Big win, big win, all right? Make sense? And then also, what were, if you were also here, we left in grand silence. I called it the grand awkward, okay, in our world. So what were lessons and thoughts from leaving in the grand silence? So you can take a few minutes there at your table, just turn to a few other folks. And uh, if you want to group up, y'all sure can. Actually, why don't you two guys come and join these two just for this conversation so there's more people. And uh, just take someone, just lead out and just start talking. And everybody doesn't have to answer every question. There's just a few there to jump out with. And if you don't know where to start, if you were here last week, you can talk about the grand awkward. Go ahead. <laughs> Brad asked me if the grand silence uh, was a strategy for me to get home sooner. Um, no, it, I, if I had done that, I would have done it the week before because I did need to get home before the week before that. But no, it was not my it was not my strategy uh, for you uh, in doing that. But um, hopefully, it was somewhat helpful to you. Uh, yeah, it's just obviously that's not our norm to leave in silence, to do anything in silence. Uh, it's just not our norm. And so it, I would assume if you're a right-handed writer, doing anything in silence feels like you're using your left hand. It's just not what you do. And um, it can be move, fluctuate anything from I hated every minute of that to I think I need that. I don't know that I want to do that ever again. Or then others like, I need that. Thank you for making imposing it on us. You know, it's just a, the whole gamut. But we talked a lot about how in silence is where a lot of our mental gymnastics starts to happen. Because when you get quiet, um, as Henry Nowen said, just because you got quiet doesn't mean your inner man or inner woman got quiet. It actually starts to get loud. That's where the chaos usually begins to um, ensue. And I, so we ended last week by doing a little exercise. What does it mean to end our day in Jesus's name? Just kind of reviewing our day and asking, where was God in that? Did I do that with God, et cetera? And I talked about how we would kind of dovetail into this week. So we're going to begin our time just on this idea of mental hygiene, okay, and put some of these pieces together we've been doing week upon week upon week. Um, if you have a Bible, you, you're going to want to pull it out for this part. If you, have a, if you don't, you have a phone. And so you're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Whatever version you go to is totally fine. Um. <clears throat> And, uh, but I want you to do, you're going to do a, another little exercise there at your table, all right? Because we've been talking week after week about what the soul really is, how the soul gets out of alignment, and how we put it back together. Once you begin to see this, you might start reading the scriptures in a brand new light. I'm hoping that'll happen for you. You'll see the scriptures in a brand new way. Help me a little bit. We've talked about there's three words that the scriptures use interchangeably to describe the core of who we are. What's one of them? Spirit, will, and heart. It's at the very core of who we are. Uh, moving out to the next level, to the next place, what's this next circle? The mind, which includes two things. What are they? Thoughts and feelings. Okay, bad handwriting. Okay. Next one is our body. Off your body is a living sacrifice. This will affect our relationships and the social dynamic of our life. Then we've talked about how the soul is the deepest part of you, and it is also the external part of you. It's what we sense from you. It also does two things. It integrates everything, and it enlivens everything. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and you're going to look at chapter verses 1 through 14. You're going to go around your circle and each person's going to read a verse at a time. So if I'm sitting at your table, Blair, then maybe Blair would start out and she would read out loud verse 1. And then the goal of this little exercise you're going to do is for you guys as a table to decide where do each of these verses fit? So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, okay? So if, you've been, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, or your version also might say that your heart on things above. So if, if I were to look at that, like I would look at that through the lens of, I have been raised with Christ. This is speaking to the core of who I am. So I'd put Colossians 3.1 right here. And then the next person, and then Kim would read verse 2. And we'd figure out where does verse 2 fit. And then verse 3, you're probably going to have a hard time uh, with verse 6, so you can read it, but don't feel a need to put that anywhere, okay? 
So just begin to go around and have some discussion. And there's probably a couple times where you'll be like, does that fit here or there? And just have a little discussion about that, okay? So just go around and start putting, start, you've got in your packet, you've got these circles, you can put those there, and then you can begin to just put where each reference fits all the way through verse 14. Ready? Go. As you move through the progression, you might feel that different verses fit in two different segments, okay? So feel free to do that. Don't feel like, now, I know, Carl, you screwed everything up, you know? You might feel that way. I felt that way some. Put that out there. Raise your hand when your table's done. We still got about five more minutes, but raise your hand whenever you're finished so I know where you are in the process. (laughs) Or maybe now you have to start all over again because I screwed you up. All right, everybody mad at me yet? (laughs) Yeah, you do have a two. You still have two minutes. We're going to 6.30, so you have two minutes, so... If you're done, if you're done, just hang on. If not, we're going to 6.30, so. Why don't I walk us through this, and if you're still working on it, you can keep going as we go. Um, I'm going to do more simple, so y'all might have overthought it and connected lots of verses, and if so, you get more credit in heaven when we get there, okay? (laughs) That's how these practices go, right? Uh, So... We started very simply. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, I just want you to start putting all these pieces together so that when you're spending time with God and you come across heart, or David talked about his whole heart and flesh, like you'll be like, oh, right, it's the core of who I am. Fits right there. Let's look at verse two. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Probably about the mind, right? That, was, that kind of felt like that was about the easiest one. Um, the rest, not so necessarily, but it says, for you died. Again, the very essence of who I am. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we're going to put that right there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is maybe my favorite verse out of this whole section. Think about that. The pressure this takes off you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear. The real you, who you really are, comes out as Jesus becomes more glorified in you. And as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and hit the wall and walk through these different places of emotions and difficulties, he becomes more evident, and then the real you comes out. I, I personally love that. But wouldn't that be the soul or essence? That's true, too. That, that, that whole piece of the soul, it really could be a piece of what people sense from us and the deepest part of us. It's a great point. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So a lot of those pieces fit within things that we do with our body. When we sin, it affects every part of us. So you could actually put that into multiple places, but we're going to go ahead and put that into um, the body there. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. I didn't put that anywhere, did y'all? <laughs> just, 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 yeah, that, yeah it'll probably, you'll probably feel that some way. Uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. I'm going to keep going. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Again, these are all things... That, em, that emanate from my body and, again, affect other parts of me. That's why I said you may have not overthought it, but you may have thought about it some more and put it into other, other dynamics. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You, you can kind of see three things there. You could say, don't lie to each other. We lie with our mouth, and so verse 9 could fit here. But don't lie to each other, which affects my relationships. I tell my kids all the time, and... Uh, the thing you could do that could sabotage trust more in our relationship than anything else is lie to us. So be honest and get grace and mercy, but this is what sabotages trust because it, it, lie, lying breaks dynamics in relationships. The end of that verse says, um, for, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, so you can see some of that down in here as well. Verse 10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed. Again, that new self we just talked about, the real you. Verse 11, here, there is no Jew or Gen- Gen- I'm sorry, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I'll just keep going. Therefore, as God's 
chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You can just keep going. Keep going. All of these are, are things that are affecting our relationships. Um, bear with one another, bear with each other, and forgive one another. So here we go. We see that. If if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I love and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together. So now we see a binding of all together, which is what the soul does. It, in, it integrates and enlivens like that. Now, that's kind of how I did it in a real brief format. All right. What are some other things you noticed as you were putting some of these things together? Anything? Anything you noticed was either different or you're like, we also thought that this fit there or whatever. Yeah. That's a good point. The mouth speaks. In my heart. Comes out of my body. Affects my relationships. Yeah. Kenzie, that's an interesting point, what you said uh, about a lot a lot of being affected here in the mind. Um, just if you actually did think about how much your mind was affected today, then verse 2 becomes encouraging and demoralizing sometimes, right? Set your mind on things above. Do you ever just want to tell Paul, that's because you didn't have toddlers? <laughs> you set your mind on things above. Oh, I'm going over here on my next missionary journey. I'm trying to get these three kids to stop hitting each other and causing... A chaos and a riot in Target, okay? So how do you set your mind on things above in the midst of real life? If I ask you today, how did you do today in setting your mind on things above? A lot of us would probably choose the shame place of being like, uh, I mean, like I was more nice than mean. So, you know, I don't really know how this fits. So what I'd like to do is, is give you one exercise that has been immensely helpful for me as I've been on this journey of trying to see soul alignment happen in me, walk in inner uh, peace and find that renewal I've been longing for, but realizing that there's a battle in my mind that often takes me into uh, emotional places, dark places, and all other things, like, like kind of what Kenzie was talking about. But I came across this exercise, and maybe some of you have heard of it. I'm going to turn the sheet just because that's really loud there. Um, by, uh, made famous by uh, a psychologist by the name of Martin Sligman, I think is how you say his name. And he popularized this exercise called ABCDE. Anybody heard of this? One? One person? Um, two? Yeah, yeah, if you're at family camp, I actually did this at family camp for some folks. Um, I, I found this to be a really practical way for me to set my mind on things above when things were not, when my mind was not going to above places. Um, like, like even like Henry Nowen talked about last week. Remember, he used the phrase, the second I get silent, um, the things inside of me start jumping around like monkeys in a banana tree. And that can be anything from the, uh, the difficulties I go through. That could be an email I was sent that just ticks me off. That could be like, I've got all these decisions to make and I don't know what decisions to make. It, it, can, it could be... Uh, you know, I get called out, you know, someone uses sarcasm on me and I react and I hate my reaction. Whatever it is, now I'm living in my head and I'm sitting here at Target doing this, but I'm up here, right? So uh, Sligman said that there was uh, a few things you could, you could walk through this exercise, A, B, C, D, E. And the, the, I'm going to write them, though, they're going to be on your board. And A stands for adversity. And they're out, this is also in your, uh, in your notes. Adversity. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a real life way that I did this while I explain it to you. That's okay. All right. So adversity. This means what happened. This is the email that was sent. This is the uh, you didn't get the promotion you were hoping for. This is the why did I just lose my temper in the Canes drive-through line? Okay. Whatever it is that you were doing the, the thing beneath the thing dig that adversity. That's what that is. All right. So right before I came back from my sabbatical, I just started to feel something and I couldn't tell what it was. A lot of times, guys, we feel that a lot. We're like, my wife's like, what's going on? Nothing. Yes, there is. What is it? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it, then it turned into I'm irritable. I don't know why I'm irritable. You've been away for 12 months to get peace and you're irritable. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then it took me a while before I realized Next week, I come back, and I'm going to be up on this stage actually doing an interview with our staff, followed by an interview in church, 
And this is causing a lot of internal frustration and anxiety inside of me. And I don't even know why. That's the adversity. Okay? Sabbatical ending, I'm coming back. All right? Then there's beliefs. Beliefs. Beliefs are um, basically thoughts that I have that are causing this circumstance to be troubling to me. What are the thoughts that I'm having that are causing this circumstance to be troubling to me? Now, if I'm talking about a circ- I'm talking about a situation, but if this is a relational thing, I would get really honest with God here. She was a jerk, is what I'm actually believing. He's ridiculous for saying what he said. He should have been grateful. That kind of stuff. All right. So I'll be really honest. In my situation, that's not what was going on. In my situation, what I what I wrote in my notes is there's pressure on me to be new and different. And I have to communicate great revelation that proves this sabbatical was worth it. So once I finally got to that, I'm like, that's what's going on inside of me. Right? That's my belief. That's what's causing this to be troublesome. C is consequences. What are the consequences of me believing these thoughts about my situation? A lot of times it might just be as simple like, I'm discouraged or I'm demoralized. I'm ticked off. But I spent the time thinking, what is it that is happening here? And I wrote, I am suffocated by the opinions of others. Number one. Number two, we've talked a lot about that lie, I am what I do which is kind of my go-to. And the consequences, if I keep going down this road, is I'm going to go back into that lie, I am what I do. How I perform at staff meeting on Tuesday and in front of the church next Sunday, it is the sum total of who I am. So if I, if I keep going down this trail, that's where this is headed. I'm headed into that, uh, into that way of thinking, all right? Versus, what I wrote down is versus the truth, which is Jesus is my life and my identity in my fountain. All right? That's the consequences. D is where you'll spend more time. Sometimes A, B, and C can actually flow in about 60 seconds. It's not, not always. I'm just saying sometimes that part. This part takes more work because now this is where you begin to offer a kingdom perspective here. Um, one way you would do this is you start to kind of jump out of yourself, kind of look back, and you are watching yourself almost like a character in a movie, thinking through the lens of how would this person react in such a way that I would admire them or I would admire their response versus if they keep going that route, it's going to be very unproductive. So sometimes this starts with something along the lines of... um, uh, how, how would you start it? Something like uh, seeing um, a better way to see that would be this. All right, you with me here? Something along the lines of uh, what I write down. Yeah, that's not true because I'm speaking back to this consequences. That's not true because, or a better way to see this is blank. All right. So I took some time here. With my situation, and I, in this situation, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I have made you new. It's not about what you say on a stage. It's about what I did in you. I've made you new, and these moments do not define you. I do. I was led to Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And so I began to say, what I wrote down here is, Carl, you are loved. Clothe yourself with compassion and love for them. So instead of like, I'm on the hot seat, it turned into, oh, I'm carrying love and compassion for them. And it shifted as I kind of watched, oh, I think if Carl did that, that would be, that would be something beautiful and noble and something that could be rejuvenating, all right? That took a while, but that's where I landed. E stands for energize. Energize is, now how do I feel as I begin to strap on this dispute? How do I feel as I dispute those beliefs? I wrote down, I feel like I'm soaring with fresh perspective. I no longer feel pinned down. So this has just been a really helpful exercise for me. And I've done this when there's relational misfires or when I'm just carrying this, what's going on in me? 
This has been my time with God. This has also been my peel away for five minutes at the office to just cut a corner and be like, ABCD, what is this? And um, Seligman actually recommended people doing this five times a day. I haven't gotten more than one, so if you need that, great. But this just became a real uh, place of blessing for me. So again, just wanted to give you uh, a few minutes here, not to go through the whole thing. You're not going to have time to do all of that. But I want you just to start beginning that process. And there's a reason why we're doing this. It'll lead into where we're headed tonight. But um, I want you just to even as you take a few minutes and just think, what is an adversity that's happened? And you're going to begin a process that you're going to be able to do later in your own time with God sometime throughout the week. Okay, you're going to get more time. I could not have done this process in five minutes. Um, but I want you just to start thinking, is there, is there an adversity or is there some beliefs I'm thinking? Just kind of walk through that process. Take a few minutes and just write that out. And, uh, and then I'll call you back and we'll, we'll, we'll segue here for the second half of our time. Go for it. So I know you didn't get to go all the way through it, but any first thoughts? What are the first thoughts of this process that come to your mind? First thoughts of what it was like either for you to hear it or to begin to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a lie exposing activity. It's true. Anybody else? Yeah, Summer? I worked You did. Good. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's encouraging. Yeah, sure. There's really no right or wrong answer. It's kind of what works for you, you know. And yeah, like I said, the, the, the bigger the issue is, it's one thing if it's like, well, I got an email being someone was critical of me. That's probably going to be, we could work with that one a little quicker, right? Um, but, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when you have a bigger thing, it's like, okay, I need a little, bit, I need a little more faith in the tank uh, for this. And so, but I wanted to give you some things because, like I said, all we're talking about, these require you, you have to pay attention to them. You have to keep working it. And uh, like we said last week, strive, we read that verse, strive to enter my rest. These are the kind of things you can do to, to make every effort to enter into that rest. It's some, we have a part to play in it, and then God has a part to play. And so I wanted to give you something you can actually practically do um, this very week. And what we're going to talk about in the remaining, remaining part of our time is something along these lines, okay? Now, I want you to do me a favor while we're doing this. You're all going to need a pen throughout this time, whether you've been writing or taking notes or anything, because tonight I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, to, to be distracted from my sermon, okay? Your goal is to be distracted from this sermon. About every minute or so, do your best to just think about Jesus. Think his name, or even think something like we said last week, like, Jesus, I love you, or... Jesus, you like me, something. And when you think that, I want you just to mark a little cross on your paper. All right, so we'll just practice right now. Jesus. All right, and then about every minute or two, just, Jesus, love you. Put a little cross right there. So just try to be distracted and think about that. And if all of a sudden you look up and you're like, crud, I was listening to that story Carl just shared. I haven't thought about Jesus in eight minutes, all right? Then just pick it up again, Jesus, and then put another cross, all right? So your goal is to be distracted from everything I'm sharing tonight, all right? Just think about how many sermons you've heard in your life. It's kind, of, it's kind of a sad thing for me as a preacher when I ask people, how many sermons do you actually remember? And they're like, oh, I had a good preacher 20 years ago. He shared some stuff. You know, it's like there's a lot of these sermons to go around. Like if you are 40 years old, you grew up in, Jesus, you grew up in the church, you've heard over 2,000 sermons just if you went on Sundays and uh, took some off for vacation. What about if you were in a youth group from 7th to 12th grade? There's another 300 sermons. I was in a private school from pre-K to 12th grade. I calculated 2,340 sermons. That's not Bible class, all right? That's not even Bible class. Now, you add all those in, and the conferences y'all have been to, and the podcast you've listened to, and the conferences you've been to, and the spring break mission trips, and the youth camp you went to, where they did sessions in the morning and breakouts. Think about how many sermons we've heard. The goal of every sermon when a preacher gets up is to convince you that what he or she is about to say is the most important thing. 
So how many times do we get up and say, now this one, though, you really need? But what's interesting is what I'm about to share, I really believe is the most important thing. (laughs) And I've never preached it in this church. That's kind of embarrassing. But I believe it's the most important things. But I want you to stay distracted, okay? So stay distracted while you listen to this, all right? But seriously, how many times you go to church and the guy say, okay, today we're talking about something. You probably don't need it today, but then about seven years, you probably will. That didn't happen. We're trying to make sure you get this is the most important thing, all right? So to help you understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to tell you a modern-day true parable. I was getting my hair cut this past September. My barber goes to Antioch, and he's thanking me because my daughter babysits for him. So he was like, your daughter's so great. We love having her over. And I said, man, she loves it, but I feel bad for you all the amount of money you're spending. Like, do you all not have any family around? He said, well, we do, but it's kind of complicated He's like, but God's doing some really good stuff in my in-laws. Did I tell you about that? And I said, no. And he said, well, out of nowhere, this is like end of August, I get a, we get a text from my father-in-law and he says, thanks so much for the earphones. And we were like, why is he thanking us in August for the Christmas gift we gave him? But we were like, you're so welcome. <clears throat> and then out of nowhere, he texts and says, can we come over and be at your house and we'll bring lunch? We were like, sure, because usually we bring lunch. They don't bring lunch if we're all getting together. And so he shows up at our house, and um, he starts to get all the kids, and one by one, he's just like hugging all of them. And he's just like, oh, I love you so much, and this is what I love about you. And he's just going down the line. And I was like, now, wait a minute. Didn't you tell me that your father-in-law has a real anger problem? He goes, no, no, no. Carl, you and I have anger problems. He's like, he was one time in a drive through line, And somebody honked the horn at him to hurry up. And he got, went into a rage, threw his car in reverse and backed his truck up over the hood of their car. So it's like, you can imagine he's a believer, but we don't spend a lot of time with them. We have to manage how much our kid time, our kids get with them. So when he comes in and he's doing this with everyone and he pulls his daughter aside and just says, I love you so much. You're a great mom and a great wife. And we're all, we were like looking at Scrooge on, at the end of the movie going, you know, what's all this about? <clears throat> and they sit down and find out that that week he had eye surgery. And when he did, he couldn't watch TV, which was what he would have normally done. So he got the noise-canceling headphones that his uh, kids had given him for Christmas, put them on, and literally for 48 hours straight had worship going. And he would just fall asleep in his chair and wake up, fall asleep in his chair, and was just living in the presence of God for 48 hours. And it was almost like something shifted in him. And after 48 hours, he's like just telling his wife, you're the best thing in the world. I love you so much. It's just like, what, what's going on? And, you know, just, and I'm sending all these texts of all these people about how much he loves them and all of these things. And his wife was even like, he's just going around everywhere. He just loves everybody. He's just like, uh, really this overflow is happening to him. And if you've ever heard a story of how John 15 makes sense to me, that's it. John 15 says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. He is so tethered to this this vine. And he is so consistently in the presence of God that his inner disposition is changing on the spot. It would not be a pause class if we did not quote Dallas Willard. So let's do so. Dallas Willard says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. What a a sentence. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity. They can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. And soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. Gosh, you could just meditate on that in your time with God. But I love his phrase here, our part in thus practicing the presence of God 
is directing and redirecting our minds constantly to him by making little crosses on our, ta- on our paper. Now, these last couple of weeks, we talked about something called unintentional spiritual formation, where things like the stories we're believing and habits we're doing and relationships we're having are becoming our environment and they're shaping us. And we said we want to undermine those processes. So when you have a habit, which is something you do on a regular basis in such a way that it, be- it is who you become, so our habits are eventually not things we do, they're things that that get done to us. So we need practices that we can put in place to undermine those habits in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And one of those is practicing the presence of God or what some would call abiding abiding prayer. And what I want to do is I want to talk about this because this will go way beyond the quiet time and devotions, especially if you are at the wall, then a lot of times quiet time devotions feels very difficult for you. And it can just be like, man, that's just not working. What do I do? And this could be a gift. And uh, I have to admit, I love prayer and worship. But when I would come up against a verse like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that says, pray without ceasing. I didn't know what to do with that. Pray without ceasing becomes very difficult for me. And I'm a pastor. Like we will start tomorrow our staff meeting with worship and prayer. We end, we start many meetings and end them in prayer. And I'm thinking, and if you came to the end of my day and said, Carl, did you pray all day without ceasing? I'd be like, no. I solved three problems, tried to fix one other video that we had going on, dealt with some drama, and someone called the church in a, in a, in a, in a mad situation. Like, I wouldn't say that I was just all day long praying without ceasing. But I began to realize in this last year that I was defining prayer a little narrowly. I love the Passion Translation. It says, make your life a prayer. Make your life a prayer. And at first when I read that, I started thinking about, we want to make our life is worship, but that's not what it says. Like job is worship to God, child raising, worship to God. Life is worship. But it says, make my life a prayer. How does that sit with you? Make my life a prayer. My whole life is a prayer. So you might go, that sounds beautiful. I love that. Or I don't know how to do that. <clears throat> so my goal tonight is to make, put some skin and, and bones on that and to unpack some scriptures you probably heard a lot in the past. And let's see if we can see them through a different lens as you stay very distracted. John 15, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I believe that this this passage of Scripture that you probably heard a lot is a gift. It's a gift to us. Because in this passage... God is making it clear there are certain things you can do and certain things that I am responsible for. And in your Christian walk, you have a tendency to start doing what I'm responsible for. <laughs> and if you do that enough, if you carry what, you were, what, what God was made to carry and then neglect what you were supposed to do, you can really get either discouraged or really burnout can be your reality. So there's an invitation here. John 15 saying, intimacy, closeness with Jesus. This is really possible. But there's also something here you're supposed to do called bearing fruit, which is not something you can do, right? You, you can't make fruit happen. That's a sovereign thing. Like we have a tree out in the left-hand corner of our yard. It's Blair's favorite tree. She loves it. It turns these beautiful white buds shoot out and it is glorious. And if I walk out there right now and say, let's go, it's October. It's not going to happen. I can't make it happen. No matter how much Blair wants that to be white, I can't do that. Spring will come and it will, have its hap- it will have its moment, but I can't force this to happen. And when I begin to realize that a lot of the fruit I'm being required to do before God, I can't even do, it actually can be a very freeing place. So how are you supposed to be a fruit bearer and yet I can't do it? That's what we're going to step into a little bit. All right, let's switch over to another passage. Where are we going to go if we're going to talk about fruit? Where in the Bible do we, we see that? A bunch of fruit talk. Yeah, fruit of the Spirit. You probably learned that song in the in Vacation Bible School. You know this passage. It starts with Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, 
I believe this is maybe one of the most well-known passages of Scripture and probably one of the most misread passages of Scripture. Most of us read this as nine exhortations from Paul that we need to up our spiritual game. And if we're ever failing in spiritual life, we can go back and read this over and over and over again and hope we kind of get our act together. Now, on the flip side, it's paired with 15 traits that Paul lays out that he calls the deeds of the flesh. You remember that list? Verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. <laughs> like, well, we don't need, it's almost like, I don't have to list these. These are so known to us. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Thank you, Paul. I mean, he's pretty graphic here. And I think that we'd all agree. Yep, those kind of traits right there, impurity, selfish ambition, jealousy, rage, not great if you want spiritual renewal and spiritual maturity. We all in, we're all in agreement there? Okay, great. Notice how he finishes that section, though. Verse 21. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hear that again. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So knowing what you know about what we've been talking about the soul and the kingdom of God, what is Paul saying there? First reading means if you do these things, you go to hell, right? How many of you would just be really blunt and join Carl and say, just like Carl, I have dealt with hatred in the last 12 to 18 months? Okay, <laughs> last 12 hours, okay, yeah, all right. Okay, if we read it that way, we just missed the pearly gates, right? We're done for. I don't, think that, 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 I don't believe that's what that's saying at all. What Paul is trying to say, what'd you say, Brad? Read the rest of the New Testament, redemption. Yeah, redemption, sanctification, the redeemed ones. I believe Paul's saying in this verse that there's a, re a realm you were made to live in. And if you allow these types of things to get into your life, it's going to block the flow of your spirit from living where you're supposed to be living. And that, that kind of changes the game when it comes to sin. Because when you're younger and you're learning about walking with the Lord, that could be younger in age if you were there, if you got saved later in life, you're learning, what are the rules? What can I do and not do? What's allowed? How far is too far? Like, what do we do? What do we not do? And we learn that list. This is where you'd see Paul challenging the people he was writing to. You needed to get those laws, those Ten Commandments, those, those things over in the Torah. You needed to get that down because in the early days, your heart was hard and you were growing. As you get older, the question becomes not like, what can I get away with today? The question becomes, what's blocking the flow of the Spirit in my life? Not is this good or bad or is it, you know, benign, but is it, will this block the flow or will it open me up to the flow of the Spirit in my life? Then Paul makes another list. Verse 22, you know this one, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Again, I think we would all say those are things that we would want to see in our life. These are no-brainers for Christianity. What I would like to say to us tonight is, I don't believe the, I believe these things are like the tree in the corner of Carl's yard that we just can't go and become. And the pressure to become that, like if I say tomorrow, you've got a goal. I want to see those nine things out of you, Stephanie Snyder, tomorrow. All right, Steve, tomorrow, I'll see you at staff meeting. I need self-control. Okay. You actually do have a lot of that, but <laughs> But I want you to become these nine things by tomorrow. That's a lot of pressure. One way is like, well, I guess I got the end of my life to get there. But I believe that, that maybe there's a different way we need to go about this. Let's just take that first one. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, if you, I've been defining love recently as this. Love is the ability to disadvantage myself for the sake of another. So how natural is it in me to disadvantage myself for another. I've just got to be honest. It's not very natural. A lot of times the first list of 15 things, that's more natural. Not all of them, okay? But some of those things are more natural than just disadvantaging myself for the sake of another. So if I decide I've got to be more loving, I want to be more loving 
There are things I could do to act more loving. I could write some encouragement notes to y'all tonight. I could tell you I love you. I could smile. I could, I could do some things that work on my body in, that, in those circles and work on some of those things. I can act more loving. I can't become more loving. That is an inner disposition of the heart or joy. Tell someone that they're depressed that they should have joy. Like, what? Oh, they're like, oh, thanks. I didn't know that. Okay, here you go. Here's the, where's the switch? There it is. Right? It's an inner disposition. Now, there's things they can do that work on their mind and their body. There's things they can do for sure, and there's things we should do. But it's not a flip that we switch. It's the things that Jesus does inside of us. This is why we've been living in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I contemplate his glory. I get transformed from the inside out. So if those nine things are not commands that we're supposed to do, then where is the command in that entire passage? We actually started with it. And then Paul actually begins and ends this section of Scripture in verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love those. Keep in step with the Spirit. He's giving you some genius advice here. He's saying if you want to acquire an inner disposition that births fruit out of your life and repels sin, you need to keep in step with the Spirit. So you're going to need to slow down and arrange your life around the practice of the presence of God so that I live with Him. If you've been in Antioch for like all of four minutes, you've probably seen Jimmy do an illustration where he brings someone on stage that he makes follow along. Bourgeois, did you ever have to do that with him? I'm sure you did, or make someone do it as his assistant. Like, you're going to see him follow around, and then he'll walk away, and then, you know, like, I get away from him. Okay, got to come back. It's just that he's constantly trying to remind us our goal is to open ourselves up to the person, the presence, and the, and the power of the Spirit, letting him birth the fruit in us. My job then is to be aware of his presence. And that's why I hope even tonight you're just, being distracted. If not, be distracted right now. How do we do that? How do we just keep in step with the Spirit? Like that's what our command is. Just keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe Jesus could be our our model here. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a, what's that word? Solitary place. We've been talking about silence, solitude, and stillness where he prayed. And I, this is the, the beginning of our day. This is the pointing my heart towards God and aiming it. This is why sometimes in our classes, we just say, don't say a word. Just aim your heart at God and receive his love. Just let him love you. This is the beginning of your day. This is where Jesus is pulling aside and just aiming his heart at God in prayer. For me, especially when kind of the classic devos were not working as much, I would get up and I would just say, you are closer than the air that I breathe. And sometimes that was my time with God. Because my mind had shifted from a devotional time that I'm trying to get before the day to I want to begin my day just pointed at Him. And sometimes it was that, or it was like, thank you that you are like me. You are for me. It was just one thought. Blair recently um, will start her mornings by walking into her little room where she spends time with God, and she'll light a candle. And it just kind of begins her time of sacred space there. It also tells us to back the heck off and not walk into her room. Um, and uh, am I saying that right? You tell me I tell your stories. I tell stories wrong all the time, so I'm just checking. Not, not doing it right now, but you do it sometimes. I just thought I'd hold you accountable publicly in front of everybody. That was the goal of this. Everybody text Blair tomorrow at 254. No. Uh. But it's my, I try not to phone people up when it's like a stupid thing. To not be on my phone, light a candle, and just be present with God. So I want to encourage you that that morning time, I hope you, if you have a devotional rhythm, that's great, but I don't, I don't want us to get away from that place where we're just aiming our heart at God. I think a lot of times in accountability we'll say, did you get time with Jesus? I wonder if we should just start shifting it to, did you feel your, that your heart was aimed at God today? Did you feel a connection? Well, I didn't feel a connection. Okay, well, did you, 
take time to just let him love you. I'm not saying lose your quiet time. I'm not saying Carl said we don't have to pray anymore. This is a great <laughs> class. We say one sentence in Carl's class. I don't know. Jimmy does like this 30-minute devotional on Tuesdays that people, we don't have to do that. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that there's a place in our heart where we aim it at the Lord in the morning time. But it doesn't end there. Luke says that as the news spread about Jesus all the more, crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Weird sentence, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is really a key passage for me in recent days. Will it be said of Carl that as busyness increases, he often withdrew to lonely places? That's not my, that's not my bent anyway. And so that's why I'm, I've been like setting my phone at times. It went off today. today it went off at 3 p.m. just to remind me, take two minutes just to pause and be with the Lord. And I'm just trying to set times throughout the day so it's not about my transactional moment in the morning. It's about my all-day connection with him. And how did it work out for Jesus? Pretty good. I mean, he, he would be like seeing all this ministry. He'd come back from a moment like this, and the disciples would be like, so glad you're here. We got to go over here. And he'd say, no, we're going this way. He didn't react to his circumstances because of his time with the Father. So again... I hope you do have a devotional life, but I'm beginning to wonder what would it look like if there was a, a, an active presence, practicing of God's presence all throughout the day. <clears throat> um, I was speaking to some college students recent, recently, and I said, okay, let's all define prayer for me. Ready? One, two, three. I mean, it was about, I don't know, 250 students. They all at one time said, talking to God. I said, okay, you've been taught well. Let's expand that. What is also prayer? All at one voice, listening to God. Like somebody's been to vacation Bible school. Great job. Great job. What else? Crickets. I was like, well, you did pretty good. If you do that right there for the rest of your life, that'd be awesome. But what if we expanded prayer to be being with God? Like not just did you show up in that moment? Did you pray in that meeting? Did you actually pray when you dropped your kids off at school for them? Did you actually do that? No, I didn't. Good moms do. I didn't. You know, like what if I didn't get into that? I just lived in it. I'm just being with God today all day long. This has been a definition I've been praying, playing with this year. Prayer being defined as a constant awareness of the presence of God with me. A constant awareness of the presence of God with me. It's why I love this series we've been in. Jimmy's been sharing about union, communion, partnership. He had to say it yesterday multiple times. This union and communion, it reminded me of Mother Teresa. One time was interviewed by, I believe it was Dan Rather. And he said, so you're known for your prayer life when you're with God, um, what do you say to him? And she said, I don't say anything. I'm just with him. And he's like, okay, well, then what does he say to you? And her quote was, he doesn't say anything with me. We're just together. And whatever the next question was that Dan rather asked, he said, I'm sorry. If you don't get that, you won't get anything else. There was just this sense of, it's just, we're just together. And I was like, I don't know that I'm great at that. <laughs> I'm an all-in person, so I'm like, we're spending time with God, or we're playing soccer. I mean, it's like this or this. This idea of practicing his presence began to really light me on fire, though. And that's why when we ended last week, we began to end with that practice of how do we go to sleep? How do we end our day? It's just rethinking about the day. Was I aware of God's presence? Not in condemnation, more just curiosity. Oh, I didn't, didn't do that as much. I'd like to do that a little bit more. How could I do that? I was sharing with this with one of my friends, and he was like, Carl, I don't get why this is such a big deal to you. Like, do you not pray throughout the day like the rest of us? I was like, oh, sure. But I don't know that I live in a constant awareness of his presence where I'm distracted by life just because I'm just aware he's with me. And it takes me back to that thought, he likes me, and I can trust him. That puts me in a safe world regardless of what's going on. Now, this idea of practicing the presence of God, you might know that phrase because it was made famous by a, a, a monk in the 16th century named Nicholas Herman, um, better known as Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was, uh, before he was Brother Lawrence, he was Nicholas, he was in, he grew up a peasant, he was in the army um, and went off to war. He had some, he got injured, he had some severe PTSD, so he moved back with his parents to try to get through that, had the idea to move to a monastery to deepen his spiritual roots. They made him the cook. While he was the cook, though, he was hard to be on his feet. So throughout his time in the monastery, he was just demoted consistently because of what he could, could not 
do. But during this time, he was so outgoing. He loved people. People loved him. And he continued, he just built his entire life around, I'm going to practice God's presence. And I love that phrase, that word, practice. He was practicing God's presence. Like, I'm just going to see how I can do this today. And then his correspondence with some people who were asking him questions about this practice of the presence of God turned into a book. Has anybody read that book? Some of y'all read that book? Yeah? Listen, this book has been read by millions. Listen to this quote. He said, The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in His divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with Him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. How appealing is that? And I told you, Blair is not a morning person. She doesn't like to be disturbed in the morning. And I like to talk a lot. She calls me Chatty Cathy. And if she ever says, look, Chatty Cathy, that's my signal. It's morning. The candle has been lit. Depart from me. Um, one morning I came to her and I was like, okay, I know this is a Chatty Cathy moment, but I got to ask you a question. She's like, okay. And I said, if, if heaven was not, if we found out that there was no heaven we would go to, nor hell that we'd have to escape, would you still follow Jesus? And she was like, I'm trying to just get ready for my day. Like, but I'm like, I, this is where my mind goes. Because I had about, I, what I do is I read about one page or two pages of this Practicing the Presence of God book every morning. And I just read this quote. Far from loving God in return for his benefits, he would have loved him if there had been no punishment to avoid or any reward to gain. The purity of his love was so great that he wished, if it were possible, that God could not see what he did in his service. However, God would let nothing pass without rewarding our brother a hundredfold, often causing him to feel delights and sensations of his divinity that were overwhelming. Then he would cry out to God, it is too much, O Lord, it's too much for me. And as I would just read this, I would just listen about how he would just practice God's presence all throughout the day. And even as he got older, it's like his, his ability to do anything just continued to go south, and people started coming from all around France to be with this man because of his inner disposition. And I just began to think, I, I want what this man has. So I began to, to put some things together. If the first act of prayer is to relax into God's goodness, when we talked to him about that, just what would it look like if prayer, my first act of prayer, wasn't to kind of muster something up, but it was just to relax into his goodness, have a constant awareness of his presence with me. He's just, he's just with me. And then if I put the fact that I've got a desire for a deep soul level peace, that's what I long for. Jimmy shared that about the other day. What's the first thing we pray? We all pray for peace. If I've got a desire for a deep soul level peace, then I'm going to need to arrange my days around the practice of the presence of God. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm wanting to inaugurate this idea inside of you that you may live with. It may be your reality. This may just be a good reminder, but especially if it's been hard and emotionally heavy, that your idea would not be, I've got to go get in a room and cram in there for 90 minutes and pound on the wall. And if you need to do that, do that because that's part of prayer. But it could be that a different way could be, what if tomorrow, you know, I actually did this retreat this, this year where they said, don't spend time with God tomorrow. And I was like, oh man, these are heretics. And they were like, we just want you to practice being aware of God's presence for the next 24 hours. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Can I do my 30-minute devotional? That's easier, you know. The idea of practicing his presence began to just shift my mind. Well, as we were in one of these sessions at our retreat, the man leading it pulled out this cross, and he said, I'm going to be preaching. Uh, would someone like to just hold this cross while I preach? And I was like, sure. It was almost like, I'll be, a, I'll, be, I'll be the good one, you know, like, sure. And I took it, and I just held it in my hand, and I was taking notes during the entire message. And I just was constantly distracted by this cross. And at the end of the class, I actually still could not tell you what that man talked about. But I was just so overwhelmed with the love of God. It was just a simple little thing. We had an exercise that day we had to do similar to ABCDE, but it was, we had to write a psalm and then share it with someone. And I'm sharing these things and with this gentleman that's there. And the next morning he came to me and he just said, hey, I just had this thought. I have a few of these in my bag. And I just had this sense that God's doing a deep work in you. What if you just put this in your pocket? Every time you put your hand in your pocket, you touch it. It would just remind you, think of Jesus. And I was like, 
man, at that time I was like, I'll do anything. I'll carry a cross on my back if I need to, you know, like whatever it happens. But I just stuck it in my pocket. And I, and I do it, not every day, but most days I have this cross in my pocket. And if I just touch it, it just reminds Jesus, you love me, I love you. I'm just practicing being aware of his presence throughout the day. Um, and then I was reminded of a guy named Frank Laubach, who was a, a missionary and a uh, he helped with literary causes and a translator of the Bible in the early 1900s. Um, and he was actually known as the apostle to the illiterates. He fought injustice and suffering, and he, he wanted to help people learn. He, he, he used the things he did to translate uh, languages are still techniques that are used in the world today. Then he, brought a, then he eventually moved from the Philippines back to America. He was teaching 150,000 people a year how to read <clears throat> when he was here and traveling all around the world. He's the only U.S. American missionary to be placed on a U.S. postage stamp. So he made a big impact. But what he would say is in all of his busyness, his greatest delight was learning what it meant to fix his eyes on Jesus. And so what he would, when, when he died, they found his journals and they looked up in the corner of the journal and it would say things like 34%, 71%, 52%, 12%. And they were trying to figure out what all this meant. And they put all these pieces together that he wanted to be an apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus said, come follow me. It meant be with me, rest with me, sleep with me, work, just be, be, be with me. So he would do something he called the game with minutes to see how many times a day he could be aware of God's presence in the minutes of his day. <clears throat> he wrote this, and he would challenge people to do something similar to what I had you do with the crosses. And he wrote, wrote this, this game is not a grim duty. I love that because a lot of times that's where prayer goes. Nobody need play it unless he seeks richer life. It's a delightful privilege. If you forget to play it for minutes or days, or hours, or days. Do not groan or repent. Begin anew with a smile. It's a thrilling joy. Don't turn it into a sour-faced penance. With God, every minute can be a fresh beginning. Ahead of you lie limitless anticipations. And so that's why I ask you to just make some cross marks throughout the night tonight. Why don't you just go through your pages there, and just, or if it was just on that one page, and just kind of count about how many crosses you put. Maybe it was three, 30, maybe it was 33. Maybe it was 133. <laughs> I don't think it could be that. Just count up what you did there. I don't know what it was, but my guess is you were, if it was five, if it was 15, you were more aware of God's presence in this last 35 minutes than maybe the rest of your day. You're just constantly thinking about Jesus, thinking about his presence. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're more aware of his presence at another time. But just what a beautiful, I love this phrase, the fresh beginning and the limitless anticipations that God can give you. Art, can you put that T-chart up that I skipped? you've been with us, we've been talking about these practices that we do. Things we do, things we don't do. And something you're not doing, maybe not experiencing peace, then maybe there's a practice you could do to begin to experience that. Because if fruit of the Spirit is peace, it's not something you can make happen in your life, but a practice you could do to set yourself up for it is practicing God's presence to experience His peace. And so this week, I just want to encourage you as you go throughout your week that there might be a, need, need to be a kind of a couple different things. On one level, you might need to do some A, B, C, D, E to, to make every effort to enter into that rest. And at another level, what would it look like if you just started looking at your red dot on your phone or your watch that Jimmy passed out? If you don't have that, then it's just like thinking those simple thoughts about Jesus loves me or his presence, just being aware of, of him in the minutes. What could that look like for us? Maybe that's a way that we could all live out setting our mind on things above and taking this and putting it all together.
It's 729. I don't think I finished at 729 on any of these. So I'm going to go ahead and stop so that we actually end on time. And uh, Blair is smiling. <laughs> she loves it when I end on time. It just doesn't happen that often. So I want you to close your eyes. And remember, set your mind on things above. 2 Corinthians 3, as we contemplate Him, His glory, we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. We thank You, Lord, for the beauty of Your Word, that Your Word is a place of great sustenance. And I pray that tonight, Lord, again, you will have imparted your word to us, begun to do some beautiful soul alignment. And maybe this week, if there's some places where my mind or my body or my heart, just the, the, they start getting pulled in different places that I could set my mind on things above. My friends would set their heart and their mind on things above, not on earthly things. And just pray that we'd be able to just start practicing your presence in a fresh way. And like Frank Laubach said, if we look and it's been days or hours or minutes or whatever, we would just, with a great smile, begin again looking at the limitless anticipations that could be in front of us. So I thank you for my friends. And pray that you protect them on their way home tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. So as you head out tonight, you do not have to leave in silence. So you can hug people, scream at them, high five them, all those good things. And uh, we'll call it a night. God bless you.